Well, uh, we are continuing a sermon series uh, today, uh, looking at Jesus as our teacher, the series that we've been engaged in for the past uh, number of weeks as we make our way to Easter, the series we've called The Teacher Who Changed the World. And throughout, uh, we've heard Jesus say some pretty incredible things, things that have caused us to stop and to think deeply, to ask questions about what it would mean for our lives. And that's exactly what happens when we encounter truth. And as Christians, we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's actually what he said about himself, that he is the truth, right? That what he says is truth, that what he has taught is truth that what we have in the scriptures, in the Bible, is truth for our lives. But that also means that at times we're going to hear Jesus say some things or teach some things that are going to challenge us. They're going to confront us. It's going to be hard to hear those things. And we're going to be confronted by truth. If you were with us a few weeks ago, I said that we have this tendency to want to pick and choose the teachings of Jesus that we like, right? We like what he says over here about something. We like what he says over here about this other thing. But on this subject, I don't like much of what Jesus says there. I'm not really on board with that, Jesus. But remember, when we do that, we're beginning to construct our own version of Jesus, We're building Jesus up in our own image or we're creating our own version of the Bible and before you know it, we've built a Jesus that is very tame, very safe, that we've robbed all of the power of him being able to confront us or to ask us to change. It's true. That's what we have the tendency to do. But That may be what we want often from our relationship of Jesus, to kind of have him meet us on our terms, but it's not at all what we need from Jesus and our relationship with him. And so just as we said a couple of weeks ago, it's so important to let Jesus teach us is to let him challenge us. If you're going to let Jesus teach you, that he is going to challenge you. And today, we are confronted with something that Jesus says that should absolutely challenge us to the core. It should rattle us. It should make us ask the question, what on earth does this mean for my life? What does it mean? And here's what he says, essentially. That if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple and take the next steps, as we've been talking about this year, of following me, it's going to cost you. You really need to stop and count the cost. Consider, Jesus says, what it's going to mean for you to follow me. And in fact, you're going to need to pick up a cross much like mine and follow me. Wow. It's pretty intense. What does he mean by that? And if you're here this morning and you're new to Christianity or you're still investigating what Jesus is all about, uh, maybe you're saying to yourself, that sounds kind of terrible, right? Why are all of you in on this? Why would you, why would I, why would anyone sign up for what you're talking about? And I just want to encourage you to stay with me because what I hope we'll see is that when we do count the cost, 
when we do give up everything to follow Jesus, then we will find the life that we were created to have. That when we do count the cost and give up everything to follow Jesus, he gives us not what you and I want, but what you and I deeply need. Not what we want, but what we need. Today, as we've been talking about, is Palm Sunday. This day where, for centuries, Christians from around the world have recognized the entrance of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem uh, to shouts of praise, to shouts of victory. The first century historian, Jewish historian Josephus, estimated that there could have been upwards of 2.7 million people gathered in the ancient city of Jerusalem for Passover. That's the kind of crowd that Jesus is coming into. And they are shouting for him. They are saying, you are our king. They're saying, Hosanna, which literally means save now. They had seen and heard about Jesus just before that, raising this man named Lazarus from the dead. And so they have come all charged up to declare him their king. But Palm Sunday is an event that also helps us to clearly see that following Jesus is going to flip our expectations upside down. To flip our expectations of who he is upside down. Yes, Palm Sunday tells us that Jesus is a king, but not the kind of king that the crowd or that you and I are often looking for. He's a king who comes riding on a donkey, not on a great strong war horse. And he's the kind of king that comes not to claim the throne of Jerusalem, but to claim the throne of your heart, of my heart. Lee Eklov tells the story uh, that when he was a kid, in the 1950s, Parker Brothers came out with this board game for church families like his. It was called Going to Jerusalem. Some of you, if you're old enough, maybe you have seen this before or are familiar with it. He writes, your playing piece wasn't a top hat or a Scotty dog like in the worldly game of Monopoly. In going to Jerusalem, you got to be a real disciple. You were represented by a little plastic man with a robe, a beard, some sandals, and a staff. In order to move across the board, you looked up answers to questions in the little black New Testament provided with the game. Eklov says, I remember that you always started in Bethlehem, and you made stops at the Mount of Olives, Bethsaida, Capernaum, the Stormy Sea, Nazareth, and Bethany. And if you rolled the dice really well, you went all the way around to the triumphal entry in Jerusalem. But you never got to the crucifixion or resurrection. There were no demons or angry Pharisees. You only made your way through the nice stories. It was a safe adventure, perfectly suited for a Christian family on a Sunday afternoon walk with Jesus. It never occurred to me, while leaning over the card table, jiggling the dice in my hand, that traveling with Jesus wasn't meant for plastic disciples who looked up verses in a little black Bible. If you're going to walk with Jesus as his disciple in the world, you may need to change your expectations. After all, he says, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. This week, this holy week, this part of the story of Jesus is not to be avoided. In fact, it's the part of the story that 
we all should be diving into deeper. So this morning, on this important day, I want us all to be open to having Jesus change all of our expectations about what he may be doing in us. To be led by Jesus in a direction that you and I may not be planning to go. I don't know all of your stories. I probably don't know most of your stories or what life is bringing into your life right now. But together, together we can follow Jesus and kind of let him move things around. Let him flip our expectations upside down. And I want to do that today by asking just two questions. The first question is simply this. What does following Jesus cost us? What does following Jesus cost us? And I want to turn to Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. If you have a Bible, you can turn there or it'll be on the screen. But this is what Luke 14 says. It says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Jesus, this is a bit harsh, no? You want me to do what? To hate my father and mother, my wife and kids, my brother and sisters, even my own life? See, the text tells us that large crowds were traveling with Jesus, that people were just interested in what he was doing and saying. They were seeing all these amazing miracles. Many of them had become fans. They're waiting for him to do the next big thing. And as Jesus often does, he sees right through all of that. And he cuts right to the heart. And he says, if you are my disciple, you have to hate even your family. Now, what does Jesus mean here? Does he actually mean that we need to hate our families? No. It's not what he means at all. Of course not. There's nowhere in the teaching of Jesus or in the Bible that allows us the room for hate. But what Jesus is getting at is that if you're going to follow me, it's about being completely loyal. What Jesus is talking about here is our loyalty to him. To follow Jesus is to be loyal to Jesus above everything else, even our families, even our loved ones. How many of us, if we were asked what is the most, the single most important thing in our lives, how many of us would say our families, our loved ones, our kids? Of course we would. Almost all of us would answer that, I'm sure. And that is a good thing. It's good that we feel that way. But Jesus is being very strong here. And he's saying that if you are my follower, if you are my disciple, then I need to come first, even before your family. That's some strong medicine, isn't it? Difficult to hear, perhaps, for some of us. Not the most positive message from Jesus, it seems like, in today's day and age. One Bible scholar put it this way. I love how he writes this. He says, Imagine a politician standing on a soapbox speaking to a crowd. If you vote for me, you're voting to lose your homes and families. You're asking for higher taxes and lower wages. You're deciding in favor of losing all you love best. So come on, who's on my side? 
The crowd wouldn't even bother heckling him or throwing rotten tomatoes at him. They would just be puzzled. Why on earth would anyone advertise that way? But suppose instead of a politician, we think of a leader of a great expedition forging a way through a high and dangerous mountain pass to bring urgent medical aid to villages cut off from the rest of the world. Makes me think of the pastor's conference that Pastor Dudley and Chris led this week in Columbia where pastors from all over dropped everything, all they could do to get there, counted the cost, and it was worth it to follow Jesus. He continues, If you want to come to me, this leader of the expedition says, you'll have to leave your packs behind. From here on, the path is too steep to carry all that stuff, and you probably won't find it again. And then send some last postcards home. This is a dangerous route, and it's very likely that several of us won't come back. We may not like the sound of that, he says, but we understand it. We can see why it would make sense. And yet Jesus is being very straightforward. He's almost saying something very similar to that. Listen, in this world, you are going to have trouble. And isn't that true for all of us? I know all of us in some way right now are running up against some kind of trouble in our lives. Some of you are facing some intense medical uncertainty right now. Some of you are in the middle of relational crisis and problems. Christians around the world today are feeling the heat of persecution. And through all of that, Jesus doesn't give us kind of a rosy discipleship plan. Jesus says, this is going to cost you. And so sit down and consider all of that. That you're loyal to me above everything else in life. And one of the great Bible verses, I think, that speaks to our love and our loyalty to God above all is in Proverbs 3. And it says this, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. But following Jesus, if it's about being loyal above everything else, well, then that means that as Jesus goes even further with this hard saying, it means that to follow Jesus is to live a life of self-denial. Self-denial. In verse 27 of Luke 14, he goes further and he says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In other words, in Jesus' mind, being his disciple will mean there will be, no doubt, a time of struggle ahead, a time of sacrifice. Right? And I think it's important for us to remember that when Jesus is talking like this, he's not just saying that as my disciple, you're going to come up with that one big moment where you choose to deny yourself and follow me, pick up the cross, and then that's it, and from then on out, everything's okay. Jesus is saying this is a lifestyle. This is a pattern. To follow him is to live in a pattern of self-denial. He's describing a way of life. And there's no greater act of denial than what Jesus, self-denial, than what Jesus does for us on the cross. And that's why he says, you too, you too are to pick up a cross like mine. 
Some of you may be facing some very difficult decisions right now. And you may know of a particular issue or problem in your life that needs to change or it needs to be brought to a head, a fork in the road. And the choice is really kind of believing if I'm going to continue on this path kind of on my own strength, trying to figure things out for my own and the way that I know kind of makes me happy but leads me further away from God's desires for me. Am I going to continue down that path? Or am I going to give it up, deny myself, and pick up after Jesus and follow him? And I want us all to kind of think today, can you look into your life right now and find something or someone that you know is just not good for you? It does not please God. What would it look like to pick up the cross and follow Jesus in that situation? or in that relationship. You know, when we get the chance, uh, Pastor Dudley and I get the chance to sit down for our membership uh, interviews through our membership process here at the church, we get to hear some amazing stories from all of you. Right? And it's always incredible to see how God has moved us in our stories to bring us to this place, to this time in our lives. And almost always, in every story, there seems to be a moment, a decision, something that takes place in our lives that brings a real moment of clarity. I'm either going to keep going down this path, keep continuing in this direction under my own strength, or I'm going to deny myself, pick up the cross, and truly trust that Jesus is going to lead me somewhere better. It's hard. Following Jesus is hard. This is the hard part of following him. This is where he tells his followers, he tells you and me, listen, you need to sit down and consider this. Count the cost because what I want, I want your full life, your full devotion. I want you to trust me that I'm leading you somewhere better. And it's here that Jesus in Luke 14 actually gives us two stories, two parables to kind of drive his point home a little more deeply. He says this in verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Now, apparently, many people don't know how to count the cost for their building projects. That's why overruns, cost overruns, happen all the time. They're very common. Here are a few uh, famous cost overruns that I came across this week. Uh, the Suez Canal, that great engineering feat in Egypt, cost 20 times as much as the earliest estimates. The Sydney Opera House cost 15 times more than what was originally projected. The great, remember this, the Concorde supersonic jet cost 12 times more than predicted. And when Boston's big dig, their tunnel construction, was completed, the project, get this, was 275% over budget, $11 billion. A study uh, of cost overruns published in the Journal of American Planning Association found this, listen to this, nine out of 10 construction projects had underestimated costs. 
overruns of 50 to 100% were almost common. Another group studied that IT projects found that the average cost overrun was 43%. It also found that 70% of the projects were over budget, exceeding time estimates, and had estimated too narrow of a scope. Now, I know I've just given a number of us some like recurring nightmares have just risen up in all of us. So if this is your world that you operate in, you know this to be too often the case. But Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to follow me, you're going to need to really sit down and count the cost because this is going to change everything. Your life is going to go in a different direction and you are going to be changed. It means your whole life. But then he tells another story, and he says this, Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Listen, a good leader, a good king, knows when he is outnumbered, when the battle is lost before it's begun. And so the good king, Jesus says, sits down and counts the cost and begins to work out peace. But I want you to notice something about these two stories that Jesus tells us. And one Bible commentator helped me to see this this week. That the first story about the watchtower, Jesus is saying you need to count the cost, get the numbers right, right? Make sure that you know what you are getting into, if you can afford it. But the second story of the king whose troops are outnumbered, Jesus is saying sit down, consider the cost, and decide whether you can afford not to follow me. Can you afford not to follow me? And some of you may be here thinking today, you know, what you're describing about life with Jesus sounds a little too much for me. Right? This is a little too intense for me. I, I kind of just like the idea of coming to church on Sundays and kind of slipping in, slipping out, give a little bit of money here, a little bit of here. But this, this is a little too much. I don't know if this is what I want to sign up for. But I want you to hear this. Can you afford not to follow Jesus? Can you afford not to follow him down this path? Right? You see, that's how sin affects us. It actually comes into our life and tricks us. It makes us think, just as all humans have from the very beginning, since the fall of Adam and Eve, that we can do life on our own apart from God. That not following God's law or his word or his teachings will actually lead to a better kind of freedom, a better kind of life. But throughout history, throughout the Bible, world history, if we look into our own lives, if we're honest, we found that going that way leads nowhere good, right? And that's the bad news of the gospel, that our sin leads us down a path that actually separates us from God. And because God is holy and because he is just, he has to punish our sin. But the good news of the gospel is that God sent us 
his son Jesus. He came to us himself. And as Palm Sunday, we see him as a king, a different kind of king, who became human like us, who lived the perfect life, even though he was tempted like us and did not sin. He's the kind of king that comes riding into the city on a donkey, not on a strong war, ho- war horse, not carrying all the spoils of war behind him. He comes in on a donkey with his band of followers behind him, changing our hearts. We know that just five days from now, Jesus is going to be turned upon. The crowd is going to turn on him. They're going to accuse him. He's going to be, allow himself to be arrested and tried to be taken to a cross, to be punished in our place there. But we also know how this week ends and how the new week, the new life begins, that on Easter Sunday, Jesus rises from the dead to defeat our greatest enemies, death and sin. Because of all this, he's a king worth following for no matter the cost. Because following him is truly going in a better way because it leads to new life. And so can you afford not to follow him? Can you afford not to? But as we close today, I want us to ask our second question. What does following Jesus give us? And there's a very simple answer to this. On Palm Sunday, Jesus' disciples are just utterly confused about what's happening. They're excited. There's a great huge crowd cheering them on, cheering Jesus on. This is kind of what they've been hoping for. Finally, this is the, the, re, the response that Jesus deserves. And, and really, truthfully, probably, this is the response that we deserve for being his followers. But then wait, he's doing all of it wrong. Why is he riding on a donkey? What is he doing? So John and his gospel account in chapter 12 says this, that at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Only after the fact did they get it, did they understand. Here's the thing. On Palm Sunday, we have a king who gives us, and I want us all to really get this into our hearts today, we have a king who gives us not what we want, but what we need. Not what we want, but what we need. His followers, the crowd, ourselves, they wanted a hero, a king that would just look like a better version of all the kings that they'd seen before, that would kind of kick all the bad guys out. And often we come to Jesus in the same way. We just kind of want a better version of the other things we've tried to fix our lives, to kick all the bad things out of our lives and to be better. And yet Jesus flips all of that upside down and he comes in riding on a donkey and gives us not what we think we want, but what we need. And what we need is a new heart. We need a new life with God. What he gives us is himself. He gives us the opportunity of life devoted to him. And so we ask the question then, what now? If this is true, this is the decision that I'm 
asked to make as a follower of Jesus. What now? And you know, if you looked back over your life, for some of you who have been following Jesus for a very long time, you, you can probably point out the places, those times when you have come to that time where you've had to count the cost and pick up the cross and follow Jesus, trusting that he is leading you somewhere better than you would lead yourself towards something that you truly, deeply needed. Some of you may just have started following Jesus or you're still kind of counting the cost of what this is going to mean for you. Right? Is it going to be worth it? Is it going to pay off? You may be going through it right now if you're facing an intense dilemma or some kind of difficulty. But I just want us to, my hope this morning is that as we look back and we look forward, right, that you and I can hear Jesus' call to trust him, to follow him. It's hard. I know it's hard. And trust me, I, I think Pastor Dudley would say, say the same. We would both say the same to you. Trust us that this way, the way of Jesus, is better. It's better. It's going to be hard. But at the end of this week, the resurrection, the hope that we have, the hope of new life with Jesus, means that we have life with God for all eternity. And that life is better than going it on our own. This is the real Christian life. Right? And it's not like a board game where you can remove the hard parts. To follow Jesus is to follow Jesus even in the hard parts of our stories. To go with him there and trust that he's leading you and me to something better. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, we ask that as we hear these very sobering words, from Jesus today, that we would let you confront us, let you challenge us, because that's where we know we change. What if we leave ourselves to our own devices, if we are content with kind of picking and choosing the things that you say that we like and just following those things and leaving out the others? God, we know that we're just kind of spinning in circles. We're not headed anywhere. In fact, we're being led further away from the life you want us to have. So God, I just pray today that wherever we may be, whether we've been following you for a long time, whether we are new to this, that we would hear your words, that we would count the cost, that we would do the hard work, make the difficult decisions, to deny ourselves, to pick up the cross, and particularly this week, this meaningful week, we would follow you into the hard places and know that on the other end, on the other side, is the hope of Easter. Lord, may this week we do that and may we look forward to next Sunday and every Sunday beyond that, that we can live the new life that you want us to have following you. We pray all these things this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.